Hello, Richard Lane here with the Lancet podcast for the issue of March the 31st to April the 6th. Now the key message of this adolescent health series is that adolescents are an extremely marginalised and neglected group in our society around the world, not just in this country, around the world, and that their health services are insufficient and are not based on best available evidence and practice. That was our editor, Dr Richard Horton, at the launch of the Adolescent Health Series held in London on Monday, March the 26th. In this week's issue, you'll find the first article in the series in print, although the whole series is now published online. Go to our new exclusively online section and click on Web Focus, where you'll be able to access all the articles in the series and additional audio footage from the media launch. Our main focus this week is on the seminar about a condition many of us know only too well, jet lag. In a moment, I'll be talking to Professor Tom Riley, but before that, some other highlights just to mention this week. In research, we put into print the cluster headache article we discussed on a previous podcast when it was published online a couple of weeks ago. There's an important study about HIV transmission from mother to child, which shows that the early introduction of solid foods after breastfeeding can increase the risk of a child acquiring HIV. This, the authors conclude, will require a rewriting of UNICEF guidelines on this issue. We published research from Japan showing how acopentanoic acid, or EPA, which is found naturally in fish oils, may be additionally cardioprotective for people taking statins to lower cholesterol. And we publish editorials on primary health care in the United States, a worrying famine in Cambodia, and concerns about the antiviral drug Oseltamivir. But the main focus this week is on a comprehensive seminar about jet lag. Here's one of the authors of the seminar, Professor Tom Riley, from Liverpool John Moore University in the UK. With the long-haul travel, there are extra complications. One is the fact that people are temporarily tired anyway as a result of travelling. They may actually be stiff unless they've you know, had occasional exercise on the journey. But the major factor is that their body clock, which really controls the way that their physiological functions ebb and flow over each 24 hours, how the body clock is disorientated by arriving in a new time zone where the time of the clock is out of tune with all of the external cues in the environment. Can you travel a very long way across a lot of time zones and actually be less badly off than you could be going across a few time zones? For the typical traveller, I think uh, one or two time zone transitions would would not constitute a major problem. However, there is some evidence that even the adjustment of the clock winter and springtime does actually disorientate some people, especially people in the, the north of this country where daylight saving is physically observed. We tend to think that one to two hours is actually very easy to plan and cope with when you're traveling across time zones, so that the real issues will affect performance start uh, when you've crossed three time zones or more. Going west is actually easier than going east, and the reason for that is that your body clock, left to itself, would actually regulate at a period of close to 25 rather than 24 hours, and it is the all of the external time givers or time signals that uh, lock the rhythm into an exact period of 24 hours. And that creates a, a little bit of a problem when you're traveling nine time zones or 10 time zones uh, to, to the east, because what we have found with travelers to Australia, for example, is that having arrived in Australia early in the morning, got straight at work. So, you know, they're immediately hit by external light that don't 
don't go to sleep. Their body clock is early in the evening. The external environment tells them it's early in the morning. So travelling east, for example, or travelling anywhere over many time zones, what is the most practical advice we can give based on the knowledge we have about the body clock alterations? Should you try and stay up and keep going and then hope you get that one good night's sleep that sorts you out? That's not actually quite the answer, is it? Because I think you say there's a kind of ratio about how many time zones you cross as to how long it's going to take you to adjust to the jet lag. Yes, you're never going to adjust immediately. And of course, different physiological systems will adjust at different rates, depending on whether their normal rhythm is largely controlled by external factors, such as you know your patterns of eating, for example, and your heart rate, or whether it's largely endogenous and is very resistant to, to change. Your body temperature and some other internal functions are very resistant to change. We calculate that you know a rule of thumb is that it takes one day per time zone that is crossed. That probably applies more to east than than to the west. Jet lag isn't a kind of cloud that persistently hangs over you while you're adjusting. It affects people differently at different times of day. For example, when you're going east, then its symptoms are going to be most uh, acute in the early evening, whereas when you travel west, the most difficult time of the day initially will be the uh, early morning where you know your body is telling you you should be asleep at this time of the uh, day, but the environment is telling you, hey, it's light outside, you should be getting out and being active. Professor Riley, there's often talk of a role for melatonin when we talk about jet lag. What are you saying about that in this seminar? Melatonin is the hormone that uh, plays a major role in your normal circadian rhythm. It's secreted by the pineal gland. Melatonin is secreted in dim light, so early evening, just as a normal light fades, melatonin levels start to rise. In the morning, light inhibits melatonin. So there are uh, two pulses uh, that uh, affect the uh, normal circadian rhythm, the endogenous secretions of melatonin, and the other is uh, natural, natural daylight. So they're obverse in that uh, light inhibits the secretion of melatonin. So uh, you can work out the biological principles for the use of light or exposure to light and the avoidance of light. And the principles for melatonin having an effect will operate a half cycle later as a practical tool for coping with jet lag. I think there is evidence that it has got chronobiotic effects so that it does directly affect the functioning of the of the body clock but it has got a phase response curve and that means that its response will very much depend on the time of day at which you administer it so same same with light and, uh, and we have shown in the article in lancet the times of day where you will get a delaying response from melatonin in other words a phase delay is what you want when you travel westward. The difficulty is actually administering melatonin at the right time of day. Thanks, Professor Ali. And to conclude, can you just run through a few very practical take-home messages from this seminar, from our knowledge of the body clock and jet lag, that is applicable to the vast number, nearly everyone, it seems to me, who seems to be constantly travelling these days by air? First thing is that you can actually plan. You can plan your journey so that you can minimise the effects of uh, jet lag. If your stay is for one or two days, then the best advice is to try and do all you can to stay on your home time because you won't have a favourable shift to the body clock on that time. Then the strategy will, will vary depending on whether you're uh, going east or, or going west. If you're going east and you're arriving in the morning, then you get to bed as soon as, as, soon as you can 
We don't recommend exercise in the morning when you've gone east, but exercise at any time of day is uh, is helpful after you've gone west. You try and fit in as quickly as possible with the time scale and daily activity of the local people. Although we are raising awareness about jet lag, mental toughness is quite an important aspect of it, and that means don't let it get to you. I think that's very useful advice and a great way to end. Thank you very much, Professor Riley, for talking to The Lancet. Yeah, you're welcome, Richard. Professor Tom Riley, concluding this week's podcast. Many thanks for listening. See you next week.